How's it going, everybody? This is the Dirt Bike Channel Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Brotherson. Super excited about today's podcast. I brought back on Sam Binion. He's one of the local boys here in Utah. Fantastic rider. Super good guy. And he's a, he's a thinker. He is just as into dirt bikes as just about anybody else. Um, and he, he loves it. Like one of the, one of the cool things is just, there's so many people in this sport that are so passionate about it and think through things critically and try new things and are always trying to like push the limits, you know, within reason, obviously he's a family man. He's a business owner. He's a a father. He's got, he's got, uh, obligations that he can't just like throw caution, like all caution to the wind or whatever, but he's a big time adventure guy. Loves motorcycles, loves dirt bikes, loves adventure riding, as well as single track riding, and uh, just an all-around good guy. So it was nice to have him back on the podcast today. Uh, we talked for uh, almost a couple hours here, and it was pretty cool. We talked everything from um, a Himalaya trip that he almost got to go on and is going to postpone until next year. Um, we talked about uh, KTM 500 XCFWs, even though neither one of us has ever owned one. Like, how, how, how ironic is that? We also talked about electric dirt bikes. Sam has recently uh, put a bunch of time. He bought a, a KTM Freeride. And uh, he's got some... It's kind of changed his opinion on electric dirt bikes. And you'll have to listen as to why, because it might surprise you. And then we also go into uh, factory suspension. He's kind of... Uh, changed his mind a little bit and he's become converted to like more spending spending the more money on like say like a wp cone valve uh fork and track shock and so we'll go into all that so super super fun i'll jump right into it if you want to support the podcast or what we're doing here though the best way to do it is to use my links to rocky mountain atv uh, you can find those links over at my website, dirtbikechannel.com, or in the description of most of my YouTube videos. Um, also, if you're listening to this podcast in the month of September, I as, as I'm recording this, it's September 2nd, uh, 2022. And through for the month of September, I am giving away two dirt bikes. There's my 2022 KTM 250XC and my 2022 K or uh, Sherco 250SE factory. So th- both of those dirt bikes are up for grabs in the month of uh, September here, go to my website, dirtbikechannel.com and get yourself entered to win those bikes. And uh, I think that's all I've got for you to for the intro. So let's uh, bring Sam in and let's chat. Sam, thanks for coming down into the my little podcast office here. It's been a minute. How you, how you been doing? Doing well, thanks. What do uh, you what have you been up to since the last time we talked? Just just riding and breaking your wrists and whatever? Yeah, so I came over today with this on. You saw that I had fractured my scaphoid. Is, I think that's how they pronounce it, scaphoid, scaphoid. Fractured that on a, a ride. Nothing nothing crazy. Just uh, went through a spot where the trail kind of overgrown. Couldn't see the trail. Hit a rock in it, and it deflected me off another rock. And next thing I knew, I was gasping for air. <laughs> you ever knocked your wind out of you so hard? That you, you yeah. Know, and you're just... It's it's been a minute since I've done it on a bike though, but, but that that kind of fell. I actually had plans, Kyle. I was supposed to be right now in India riding the Himalayas. Are you kidding? And I had set up a trip and put a deposit down, and so that fouled that up. So in the Himalayas, in the Himalayas, 
So this this was not on our list of things to talk about, but now I feel like there's only one thing we can talk about now. You were gonna, what were you gonna do? Like, what was this trip supposed to be like? So uh, a set of friends and I, we had set up with a guide where you go over there and they provide the bikes, and we were gonna go through the uh, northern part of India, and they have the highest passable or motorized uh, pass that you can go over, nineteen thousand feet. Plus, you've seen all these probably pictures of these sheer cliffs with rivers below and windy roads and it, it, you know, just go see some of that country and experience that. So we had set this up to go and then this happened. So and what, how long is this? How long was this trip supposed to be? Like, is this going to take like two weeks to do it? Three or? weeks. Three. Cause you've got several days of travel on both sides of it. Absolutely. What, and what types of bikes were going to be involved? So they were providing the bikes and they were just the uh, Royal Enfield Himalayan. So they're, by no means a you know you know a, a real dirt bike but you know it's three weeks of uh you'd go to a village and camp or you would uh stay at their plate you know they'd have a place you'd stay at and so it's kind of this real backwoods real adventure which is kind of what appeals to me you know it's not yeah. the touristy thing it's you fly to new delhi and then you take another flight up north and then you just ride wow that that is uh, that sounds amazing I don't know if I don't know if I would dare to do that though. Himalayas, wow, nineteen thousand feet. It's amazing that the bikes. I mean, I don't know how well they would run at nineteen thousand. That's kind of the adventure. Um, they had actually sent some pictures and said, "Hey, we've had instances where we wake up and there's two feet of snow," and so you know it could be whatever. And uh, I think that's what appeals to me. You know, I like to adventure ride, Kyle. So that's. You just want the adventure. So the adventure is it. So it's not so much going and get the fastest, hottest machine. It's just going and going somewhere different, different food, different people. So you'd just be wearing like backpacks or how would it? No, they have a van that... Uh, a support van a or support whatever. support van, yeah. See, now you're speaking my language because I'm sitting there thinking if I was going to have to ride and carry everything on some random bike that... You know, somebody in somebody in Pakistan set up or whatever. I guess it would not Pakistan, but wherever. Oh, wow! This is incredible. Well, you're just, more optimistic than my wife was. She was not so thrilled about it, but you know, after as long as we've been married, she's kind of like you do your thing there and just come back. Just come back. That's what she says. It's funny because I get a lot of I get all these people asking me on email. Not all these people, but I get people all the time saying. You know, how do I get my wife or my girlfriend into dirt bikes? And I'm very hesitant. I'm like, um, are they showing a lot of interest? Because it, so- it sounds like with you, like the relationship with you and your wife, it's all, you have your thing that you do over here. It, you probably have multiple things, but dirt bikes is a big part of what you do kind of on your own. You don't dirt bike with your wife, right? Well, so I tried to go this this way. So I bought her a KLX 140 and put a recluse on it. And, you know, she, we do these family trips and um, she'd go on a razor and, the kids would kind of, you know, they'd follow me around on their bikes. And yeah. then she's like, I'll get out with you guys. So I jumped on that. She said that, and I went and bought a bike. It wasn't even like, let's talk about it. She gave me the slightest green light. I got her a bike. <laughs> and so we went out on a few trips. But she, um, I'm being, I'm quite aggressive in nature, and she's not. So it's not a great fit. It's just not. And, and when you try to force something, and I don't do this with my kids. I love to ride, obviously, right? But I don't try to force my kids to go out. I, you know, invite them. Um, I have a boy that it's okay, but it's not really. So I don't try to force it because I don't want it to, I don't want to sour them, you know. So. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like my kid, my boys, they really like riding, 
But one of them is so into basketball right now, he hardly ever rides. It's like once a month or once every six weeks I can get him on the bike, you know? Yeah. So and I'm not trying to force him. I'm like, he's really into basketball right now. I'm just going to let him do that. Hopefully you know? it's something that he'll want to do when he's older and spend time. But if not, the, it's not going to be my condition to spend time with him by any means. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, my wife, she tried it and I appreciate that, but it's, it's just not her thing, you know? <laughs> so she does tennis. I do dirt bikes and we have found that we each have our thing. We support each other. Just, you know, I encourage her to do tennis. She lets me go to the Himalayas and we're almost did until well, you broke your wrist or whatever until that happened what was that bone you said uh a scaphoid or scaphoid i don't know scaphoid how mm-hmm. so and you, it's just a fracture but it's one of the uh carpal bones there in your wrist and uh, so did the other guys still go on this trip no no fortunately it was they just said you know let's push it back here if he'll do it and the guy did that the guide in india said yeah we'll push it back could here. you already paid or put money down yeah. or something yeah Oh, wow. I haven't paid for all of it, but we all put deposits down. So it was a for real thing. Huh. It wasn't just like, uh, let's go. And Did then, you get a referral from somebody that had already been? Or uh, No, it, it was something we've researched. I've looked at several trips. You know, I've gone to Baja and stuff several times, and I was going to do a trip in Italy and take my wife, actually, and ride during the day and, and then, you know, yeah. kind of. So I've, I've this stuff appeals to me, but this was a trip that uh, the one friend had found. He said, do you want to do it? And I'm like, yeah. That's so cool. The internet, I mean, obviously the internet has changed everything. The fact that I've been able to like make a living making dirt bike videos is as evidence of that. But just to sit there and say, you met some guy in the Himalayas and you're going to go do a tour with him on motorcycles and just, and it's just okay. It's just like a casual thing. Yeah. We, you know, researched this guy and paid him a deposit and we were going to go risk our lives with him. I mean, it's just the the internet has changed everything where you can just like, he's got this business where he's getting random people from like Utah and probably everywhere else coming to ride the Himalayas with him. It's it's an incredible thing. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, but I've had a lot of people reach out uh, on times and say, let's go ride and met new people I never would have met. So yeah, there's pros and cons to everything. Um, but meeting people, I like meeting people, um, and uh so for me there's there's that thing that that that's an exciting thing to just go see this new culture new experience yeah ride bikes while you're doing it yeah have you have you seen um you probably saw like adam Riemann's. he's done several videos like the motality yeah. motology series or whatever for sure or like Himal- himalayan hero mm-hmm. he did that with his dad like 10 years ago he, or he did he did is this a similar type deal you it is go do? it's 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 it is very similar uh-huh inspired yeah. by adam Riemann. Well, I Maybe. wouldn't say that it necessarily was, but that kind of stuff definitely has my, you know, that piques my interest, that stuff. So, um, but I mean, when it's all said and done, Kyle, at the end of every year, I look back and my memories aren't going to work. It's these trips, you know, that we take on our bikes and with family and it's these things we go and experience. That's what I remember. It's not, uh, yeah, the three weeks I would have been working here like I, I'm going to be right. I just don't, <laughs> don't remember any of that. Yeah, I don't. I feel like I don't remember anything. I I'm, I I swear I forget ninety eight percent of the stuff that has ever happened to me, and I get around people um, that I you know used to spend time with, like like, uh, and they'll sit there and tell me stories, and I'm like, that sounds vaguely familiar, and it sounds like something I would do, <laughs> but my memory's horrible. I don't know. 
it's got and it's getting worse i think it's just, maybe it's just the the amalgamation of all the different experiences that we've had in our lives and our our brains at least my brain is trying to cope with it and trying to like okay we don't need this memory but we'll hang on to this memory i don't know it's a it's a thing i'll say this before i move on though um there's this thing about that's not just dirt bikes although dirt bikes do such a good job of it but when you have this nucleus of the same hobby uh like for my wife you know she has it's so much easier with her to make friends around her tennis yeah. group because they all do the same thing and it just naturally just naturally works better but when you all go dirt biking together it just seems like it's really easy to for the most part you know make new friends yeah not always some of it some of it is because some of the time that you do these trips or whatever you have in like some very interesting or like uh I don't know traumatic isn't the right word but you have some harrowing experiences sometimes it's almost like you know you go to war with somebody and I, I don't want to like characterize it like that um but sometimes it is sometimes some of these rides that you go on are kind of like a little bit of a battle and then you you come out of it on the other side and you're like hey we did that together for sure <laughs> creates a bond I don't know if you have that same thing in tennis I've never done tennis but no, I think it's I think it's healthy though to have things that you do um, and then things that your spouse does or your girlfriend does that are separate from each other, and then there should be some things that you want to do together. I think, but it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be dirt bikes, and that's what I am trying to sometimes tell people online is, hey, if your spouse or your girlfriend is really really showing interest in this, then yeah, let's do this this and this, but make sure they're driving that conversation and it's not just you. Because the last thing you want to do is push something on somebody that they don't want to do. Because this sport is intense. It's scary. It's intense. It's expensive. It's all of those things. And make sure you're not just pushing your agenda on them. Because that might not be the best thing for a relationship in the long term anyway. Yeah. You know. I agree. So. Sometimes I'm jealous when I see, uh, you know, these couples that go out and ride. And they seem to, you know, I'm like, oh, I wish my wife would do that at times. But the reality of it is, I think for most of us, you know, it's probably not that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. So tell me, like, we're going to talk, a, we're going to talk a few things here, but I wanted to like start off on this KTM 500 thing. So, so to give the third chair or the listener, like a little bit of context here, um, Sam and I, it, I'm going to have to look back and see which episode of the podcast it was. I haven't done a lot of these podcasts recently, but Sam and I did a podcast maybe a year, year and a half ago. I think it's a year and a half ago, somewhere there. And then he reached out back out to me and he's like, Hey Kyle, I got some ideas. I can't ride right now, so let's talk. Yeah, he's like, I got some ideas. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So KTM 500 XCFW, we want to talk about, there's a few things we're going to talk about. We want to talk about the KTM 500. We want to talk about electric dirt bikes, and this should be pretty spicy, and then even factory suspension. And it's interesting because both of us right now, well, I'm testing some factory suspension, some really expensive stuff that we'll get into. But let's jump into this uh, KTM 500 because you're a, you're a 302 stroke guy. You know, so what do you, are you going to try to convert me over to like four stroke enduro stuff? So here's a video that you could make. Um, here's the thought is I, I don't have a 500, um, but I said in my email to you, I said, I think if you had to pick one dirt bike, just one that would do it all. I think the 500 is the bike. So that's my, that's, that, I'll preface it with that. And this is, this is why I think that. So I adventure ride. So I have a, a KTM 890. And then I like to ride on a single track. So I have a couple smaller bikes. I actually have three right now. Um, when you say smaller bikes, you're talking like a 302 stroke? Yeah, so I have two 302 strokes. I have a 350 four-stroke okay. for single track stuff. And 
most people look at these 500s. And the reason I say this, though, is the guy that I ride with the most in some of the most gnarly stuff that I ride, he rides a 500 XCFW. And I'm absolutely convinced it's that, I mean, that bike will do the gnarliest stuff. It will do anything. Does he have an auto clutch on it? No. He, so he just, he's very good on the clutch, keeping it running. He's done both, um, but he's, he's a great rider is what it is. So he doesn't ride with an auto clutch. Uh, he has, the bike will do it. It absolutely hands down will do the gnarliest stuff. I've seen it time and time again. Um, and so I know a 500 and this isn't XCFW. So there's very, you know, uh, there's the EXC, which I wouldn't get, but that's just me. That's a street legal bike. And there's a lot of, without going down that road, but I think the XCFW, in my opinion, for single track riding is the best, but you could, and, and, and you, we mentioned Adam, Adam took some of these bikes, Adam Riemann took some of these bikes from Austria all the way to Jordan, right? So you can take a 500 and you can dual sport it. And a ton of guys do. In fact, that's probably it's most, you know, when people think of 500s, they probably think of a, a that is its purpose, right? Not as a single trap weapon. But I think if you had one bike, in my opinion, you could do single track, you could do dual sport, you could do adventure riding on it. It could do it all. If you only had to have one bike, do I think the 500 does everything as well? I mean, that's debatable. I mean, do they even make this, the, the XCFW anymore? They do. So the XCFW went away and then it came back. And so the XCFW has been reintroduced. And so you can get the XCFW starting in, I want to say 20 or 19. Um, you talking model years? Yeah, because I'm looking the 2023 lineup on KTM. They're they're only showing a 500 EXCF. They don't have the W. Maybe that changed this year, and that's for the 2023 model year. The listeners could correct us. I do know that KTM for 2023 came out with a 450 XCFW, which is brand new. Yes, yes. There's a 450 XCFW 2023, but typically the 450s have been hotter motors, and I, I would have much. I've I've been the five hundreds I've been on have been much more mellow and more single track friendly. Because of that before. longer stroke, they're definitely more tractory with a wider, you know, power, power band, yeah. For sure than a four fifty. It doesn't hit quite as aggressively. But yeah, I see what you're saying though. I mean, but and so is part of your not to cut you off, but as part of your argument, because you, because I could make the same, I think we could both make the same argument about a 302 stroke being super versatile. But I think what you're going to say is, well, you can do adventure riding on a 500 as well. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's exactly. what I, there's the part I love, which is the single track and like, you know, hard enduro stuff or soft enduro or whatever. And then you could technically go take your 300, you know, two stroke to the track and all this other stuff. You could ride motocross with it. What you're going to say is, yeah, and the 500 can do all that, and on top of that, you can go do adventure riding. Yep, with it. And if you're going, if you're going to lump all of that in, then I'm not going to argue with you a 500 because if you're going to go do Baja, you know, Baja Mexico or whatever, or if you're going to go do a lot of these places where there's hundreds of miles involved. Um, a 500 is going to be better where it's a 504 stroke. You can put, you know, pump gas in the sucker. It has power for days and it's not as, it's not as heavy as some of these other bikes. Like you were talking about some of these bigger adventure bikes, like eight nineties or whatever guys are running 1290s sometimes for adventure stuff. Whereas this 500 almost feels like a mountain bike compared to like these bigger, 
1100 1200 street bikes right right and i mean so i have when we went to baja this last time we had a guy that rode a 500 with us so i know that the 500 will do these longer you know the problem with a 300 if you took it down the road to adventure ride you're gonna blow it up it's just not gonna do it um but the 500 has enough oil capacity just because you because your high rpms at low throttle opening so you're not getting a lot of oil in there after 40 50 miles yeah i don't think i mean your motor you just can't run a 300 wide open down the road for hours it's just i don't like taking any of these two strokes down the road for more than 10 miles yeah just no it just feels it just feels like the the two-stroke motor is made to modulate like blipping the throttle whereas four strokes are made to, where you can hold it wide open or not or just hold it open at a specific rpm like it just seems like two strokes don't want to stay at one RPM. They're they're always trying to like either climb above it or climb below it. Um, so no, I get what you mean. People are always asking me like, how do I street legal my two stroke? And I'm like, well, why? Just get a four stroke. If you want it to be street legal, just go get a four stroke. So I don't know that. I mean, this is kind of a just a discussion point. I don't own a 500, so here I am promoting it. <laughs> Uh, I don't own one. Um, I don't plan. I got a 350 that I ride just, and it's an XCFW and you got the baby version of it. I got the baby and it's got the least amount of hours of all my bikes, but I do have a four stroke. I ride it. I like it. Um, but for but the- do you really like it, Sam? Cause I say the same thing. I mean, I get on, I had that Honda 450 CRF 450 RX and the 250 RX. And I sit there and I say, no, I love that bike. I love it. But then, but then here's the thing. If, if you and I were going to go ride today, like if, if we were going to go ride after this podcast, would I take my KTM or my, my, Honda, my Honda CR450RX or would I take my 300XEW or my 250XC? If I knew I was going with you, there's no way in hell I would take that four-stroke. You know what I mean? So my question is, do you really like your 350? Well, that's or are you just a, saying that's that? A, it is an inside joke a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but we are on odds right now because it was on the 350 when I broke my wrist. So. Oh, goodness. <laughs> So we are at a little bit of, that, but I have it. That son of a, it, it, it ruined your whole summer. Like your plans. It took the Himalayas away from you. And that's a four stroke problem. I guarantee you that wouldn't have happened with a two stroke. Right. There's no way. No way. <laughs> but seriously though, because I've got other friends that say this like, oh, I love that. That was two- a little tongue in cheek there they, in case they, anybody's they, taking that too serious. They, they have their four <sighs> strokes and I'm going to alienate a lot of people, mm. but you guys know who I'm talking to. You, you guys know, like we sit here and we love our two strokes or whatever. And then, but we want to sound like we're, we're a uh, sophisticated and whatever. So we go out and we buy these four strokes and it's almost just like, it's like punching the ticket. So my question is, what do you love about your 350? Like you say you love it. What do you love about it? I'll tell you what I do like is, and, and this is serious. All right. There's left shifting on that bike. I yeah. can rev that thing out way more than I do on my, my, you know, a two stroke. So you can just rev it out stay in third gear or second gear go, go longer between so there's less shifting so that's nice um does it have the power that the 300 does no um i always had this vision though that i would take it to mexico and do some single track down there because it'd be a little more adept probably to get on the roads and run lighter you know wider open longer stretches than the two stroke yeah so it's in the reserve for that trip um, if that trip ever happens now we're buying motorcycles for theoretical trips, Sam. I just a, want to tell you. A like, problem with this? <laughs> I'm with you, though. I'm, I'm fine. I'm just giving you a hard time. So it's, it's a bike for a th- theoretical trip. 
So, and part of this is I really wanted to do a video where Jeff and I, who rides us 500, kind of compared a 350 to a 500. Um, I am of the mindset, though, that the XEFW is a much better trail bike versus the XEF. So you're going to see a million 350 XEFs out there, which is, you know, a good cross-country, bang-through-the-whoops kind of bike. But if you're going to do trail riding, I would tell, if I had a friend that wanted a four-stroke, I'd say, Get the XCFW before the XCF. Harder to find. Yeah, they didn't even do it in 23. They don't have a 350 XCFW. They only have the 450 XCFW for 23. I wonder what's going to happen with that motor, if it's going to be a little bit more, a little easier to ride. The 350? No, the 450, because oh, they don't. They didn't do the 350 I, XCFW. I think it probably will. The 350... I think here's the thing is I think it's a little lacking on the bottom end, but it's still very capable. Um, the going back to the 500 thing though is I just promoted the 500, right? I don't have one, but I wouldn't say a 500 is the best bike for a new beginner. So sure, I wouldn't go not. say, oh, go buy a 500. I'm just simply making the point from my standpoint. If I had one bike, the 500 would be it. The 350 would probably be a much better, be, you know, starting bike for a four stroke especially the W with the wider, you know, uh, yeah, it's a versatile bike. I think it, but I guess to, to hammer away finally on the final point is I think the 500 doesn't get the credit it gets or could get for being a single track bike because it will do it. Yeah, it will. I mean, the, the several guys that I know that have done the tour of Idaho, which is an insane like endurance thing. Um, they do it on 500. Well, a lot of those guys have done it on 500 four strokes, you know, either like a Husky 501 or a KTM 500 EXCF or whatever EXCF or XCFW. It's, they're great bikes and so many people love them and I need to get one. I've, I've ridden people's when I go riding with them, I'll, you know, I've put time on them here and there, but I haven't owned one yet. Either. It's hard though. Cause you're going to think, does this, how does this feel compared to my 250 or 300 two stroke? And they're different machines. They just are. Yeah. But, but that's, I'm, I'm used to doing that because I mean, I just got off those two Honda four strokes and I can appreciate them for what they are, you know, and there are certain times, like I was down at uh, green river, Utah, which is for those of you that don't know, it's, you know, desert terrain or whatever. And I was riding my 450 one day down there. And I thought, you know, this is, this is exactly what this bike is made to do. And for this type of riding, it's better than my 302 stroke. Now, do I have more fun on it? That's debatable, but is it better overall? Yeah, I think it's better. It just, it's made to get out here, stretch its legs, go fast, climb hills, climb crazy big hills. And, you know, you just, you have power for days. And, and like you said, without shifting a ton, you can stay in one gear and just wheelie all the way up a hill and then click into fourth and wheelie up the hill in fourth gear. And, and they have just so, so much power. So I, I am, I'm, I am of the opinion that all these dirt bikes have their have their strong suits and you just have to you have to see if that if what it's designed to do is that is that the type of riding that you want to do because you mentioned you know if you just had one motorcycle a KTM 500 XCFW would probably be it but what we have to do is make sure that we give the proper context which is to say you like to do a, a huge variety of riding on motorcycles some of which is on-road adventure riding and if you mix all of that in, I do think you've got a point where the 500 would be, it, it would be hard to beat if you had, but I don't think you're the type of guy that only wants to have one motorcycle. No. And so what you, what you've done and what I have done and so many of the other listeners have done, if, if you're in a position of, you know, a little bit of financial 
like you have a little bit of runway at the end, you, you've got some disposable income. What happens is we end up getting different tools for the job. And so you've got some really awesome adventure bikes and you've got some really awesome single track enduro bikes. And you may even have a track bike. I mean, that's, I'm probably going to get a track bike because I've got a son who wants to go to the track. Um, and I was taking my Honda 250 RX and I'm like, I should just get a, I should just get a YZ250F. You know, so I can go to the track with him and, and have a purpose built bike for that discipline. And that that's how my brain works. I don't I don't love this con I get the concept that you're saying, like this would be the best all around bike, but in my head I'm like, yeah, but I'm then giving up in all these other areas and I don't want to do that. I think that's really well said, and I agree with that. Uh totally that statement. So and I and that and it's fact is I don't have a five hundred and I have several very purpose built bikes, right? But for the conversation of there you have, and do you know who would be really happy right now? Do you know who would be smiling oh. right now? Mike Spurgeon, you know, talking about the five hundred oh, being the Mike. best. I bet I can just Mike would be like, yes, yes. Mike. I Mike, if you're listening to this, we need to do another podcast. Yeah. You probably don't listen to my podcast, Mike, but listen, we need to. I either need to come down to Vegas or you need to come up here. We need to do another podcast. Here's a little plug for Mike. So uh, the 350, back to that, right? I got the 350 and I put a Takamoto ECM on it and I had problems with it. And I reached, I reached out to Mike and said, I'm having problems. Mike came through Salt Lake on a, on a different trip. It wasn't just for this, but he was, came in through and he said, he stopped by. He came by my shop and came by and, and brought another ECM. And, and just, I mean, I was really impressed with that. You know what I mean? That he went to that effort. So Mike, you know, uh, plug for Mike and just his, you know, he loves his customers, right? And he does. That was really cool to see him show up with another ECM and, and try to work through this problem. Yeah. I don't have anything bad to say about Mike. He does a great job and he's super passionate about dirt bikes and what he does. And he's big time. He's like the, he's a 500 guy, you know, he's, he knows those bikes inside and out. He uses them to their, you know, some of their fullest potential. And then he's got a bunch of cool stuff on his website. If you go there, tacomoto.co, um, tacomoto.co is how you find his website. But yeah, Mike's a cool guy. And he would love that discussion. I'm, I'm sure he would love to be chiming in right now. He's, he's a lot more ad about this 500 thing, but it would be if, 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 if he was here, we couldn't get a word in edgewise. He would just be like, he'd be like a kid in a candy store. He'd have to take his, like his, uh, medication or something to get it. <laughs> Oh, Mike, we love you. So yeah, need to do a podcast with Mike. So what's what's up with electric dirt bikes? What's your what's your take on this? I get a lot of questions about electric dirt bikes. I have put on order a Stark Varg. I I ordered a Stark Varg, which I'm. Do you I, know what that one is? Well, I've done the same thing. I've got one on order. Oh, so everyone's got one on order. Um, but it sounds like you have a KTM free ride. So tell me, tell me about that and tell me, actually, before you tell me about the free ride, I just want, I want you to tell me is electric the future or is it not in dirt bikes? So I think my opinion, this, this could get you some hate mail. Uh, I don't think it is for a long time. No. And this is why, um, so I got a free ride the electric free ride it's a 2022 so it has the upgraded battery on it but you don't have there's two problems i see with electric bikes you don't have the range so the rides will go and do kyle right we could do some 70 mile rides 80 mile rides and you're never going to get that on an electric bike never um 
not and the battery technology is gonna have to improve so far before that ever happens the big difference between electric cars and electric bikes is with electric car you can add more batteries and 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 it doesn't matter how much it weighs yeah but you can't every pound you add more on a dirt bike adversely affects that bike a lot yeah and so there's a point of diminishing turns you can only put so much weight on there and that's it you know otherwise people aren't going to buy the thing right and 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 it will handle you know they're heavy so um and and the other problem i see is clutches Um, i'm so glad that you're saying this you have you heard me on my no, rant about never, clutches? We've never talked about that. I mean, you and I have never had any of this conversation. So, after having an electric bike, and I've had it in Moab, I've had it all over. Um, I can tell you that it will not do hard enduro stuff. Now, if you're going to do motocross stuff like the electric Varg is designed, that's different. Um, and even then, there's some riders who use clutches on their their motocross, but that's still a different power delivery. You cannot get the finite control that you need on the electric bike without the clutch. And I don't see manufacturers really scrambling to put a clutch on because it adds a lot of weight and complexity to that system. So do I see it the future? Uh, maybe way out, but before it's the future for hard enduro, let's classify this, right, Kyle, that it's for our kind of riding, hard enduro riding, you've got to have a clutch and you've got to have a lot more battery. And even if you had, so here's people are like, well, bring a spare. Well, the problem is, like on the free ride, the most expensive part of that bike is the battery. It's 4000 bucks. So even if you went to Moab and you did several rides. So how much gonna, does it weigh? So that bike weighs 250. No, how much does the battery oh, weigh? Oh, yes, yeah, 60 pounds. And can you hot swap it? Can you just swap it out? Yes. So you're telling me, you're telling me the solution, Sam, is to haul a 60 effing pound battery in your backpack to extend the ride a little bit not going to happen is it that's why i'm saying you're not going to see battery until battery technology is so much better you're not going to have electric dirt bikes are you serious at 60 pounds yeah did you buy one no no but i've looked i mean so they're 60 pounds and they're four thousand bucks and you're going to get so let's go back to the, the ktm free ride um the number one question always i get on the electric bike is when people say this well how far do you go the problem with that question is it's really, you know, it depends if you're riding in sand, how much uphills you're doing, and how you ride it. However, to simplify this, I have found the way I ride it is like I ride my 300. So I don't hold out. I don't put it on the second mode. I don't put it detuned. I don't try to see how far I make the battery go because I have no interest in owning a bike that I can't ride. The way you want to ride it. Absolutely. You just want to ride it in its high-performance mode. Right. If it's if it's not high-performance, what in the hell are we doing? Right. So I get 17 to 22 miles on that bike. That's it. And so... Have you pushed it back to the truck? Like, how do you know? Like, how do you know I've this is the I've had these moments where I'm going down the road, like trying to breathe backwards to hopefully get a little bit more thrust, right? I mean, literally, the thing's flashing. It's a 5%. So it's a real thing, this uh, fear of running out of battery. What's the acronym for that? Oh, it's not felt fear of running out of battery. Yeah, I would have to do that. These Tesla people, you hear about them having this anxiety because they're running out of. Hey, I and before I jump in, I actually own a Tesla. So I, I've had a Tesla now for about seven, eight. Well, I bought it in October. So we're almost we're almost 11 months on this thing. I bought the, the, the Model 3 sitting up in my garage and I've been testing this electric car. I 
I think the way it's happening in cars, you, you, there's not a whole lot we can do. Electric is coming to cars, you know, but I don't think it's coming to dirt. Well, I agree with you on this whole dirt bike thing. It's just the battery is a huge limitation. We don't have the right battery technology to make this a viable thing other than for motocross. I think it can work in motocross, but it's not going to work in most of these other disciplines. It's certainly not going to work on a street bike. How right. you going to do this on street bikes? Here's the thing. So I did this little trip. On, I did a, it, my electric car is fine driving around town. It's great. My windshield is always super dirty because I never pull into like a gas station. I pulled into a gas station two nights ago and I felt super bad because I just pulled in there to use their little squeegee or whatever. Buy anything. I, I felt bad. I thought somebody was going to like punch me or in the face or something. But I'm like, look, I buy enough gas in my truck. It's fine. But they don't know that, you know, but the electric car is great. But I tried to do a trip. I went to Zion's. Okay. So I live up here in Utah County. Went to do a trip in Zion's, but I was staying in Apple Valley, which is out in the middle of nowhere. So what would happen is I'd have to go over to, over to St. George, go to a supercharger, then drive 45 minutes to this little yurt thing I was staying at. Now the car is at whatever percent. And then I'd have to drive another hour into Zion's. And then I didn't dare just go back to like the little camp spot thing. I had to go back to freaking, you know, the supercharger in St. George. Point is, it added just going to St. George, which from where I live should be about a four-hour trip. By the time to the to this little camp thing that we were staying at, it should have taken four hours. But because I was in a Tesla, it took seven. And the reason why is because I had to I had to charge the thing twice at superchargers, and then go out of my way to get to superchargers in order to make it happen. And I was like, that did not work. The only way that works on a road trip with a Tesla is if you can, is, is if the place that you're staying at has the ability to charge the car. If you can't charge the car overnight where you're staying, it's going to add a crazy amount of time. So coming back to dirt bikes, you're exactly right. You can't this whole like, oh, let's just charge the battery. Let's swap the battery you're going to have to have an electric generator everywhere you go. I mean, a gas generator to charge your batteries. So are we, what are we even accomplishing here? We're still going to have gas to charge our freaking battery that's 4,000 pounds and six, or, you know, 60 pounds and $4,000 and it gives you an extra 20 miles? This, this is not... That doesn't work. So let me flip the conversation here now. So... We've we just, need to come back to clutches, though, but go ahead. So we've just talked about all the problems with electric bikes. However, some, not all the problems. We've talked about some. Right. Thank you. Um, so you'd think at this point in the conversation, you'd be like, well, I'm definitely not. And they're expensive. We haven't even brought in the cost of just the outright. You know, a KTM free ride is twelve grand. So you're looking at spending every, every bit as much as uh, you would like, say, a 300 or any of these bikes. So they're expensive. You have very limited range. There's no clutch. However, uh, I want an electric bike now. I'm not going to sell my free ride. Do you think after all of this, you'd be like, well, and, and here's what I have found is I've always been a little bit as an individual kind of dragging my feet on the electric movement. And it's, it's not probably so much the technology is, there's a lot of reasons really, but, but I've kind of dragged my feet on the whole electric thing. Now that I have an electric bike, I, I want to have, I don't want to not have one. And what I have found is, this is going back to what I was saying, is I always thought, well, it's choosing. I got to have an electric bike or, you know, it's kind of this. Um, either or. Either or. Like the electric bikes are coming to replace my 300 two-stroke. 
and that's that's not the case. They're not going the, the 302 strokes your four strokes. These bikes aren't going anywhere because you can't do they just can't replace them. So I that's hope the f- I hope they're not. I don't think so in my opinion. Um but the thing I found with the electric bike is it's a whole different riding experience than I've ever had before. Totally different. So um you can you can hear the drone behind you. Have you ever heard the drone flying behind you? I hear, I hear it all the time because I've got a Skydio and it's like right by my head sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you get this whole, when you ride, you ride by feel. Like you feel the rear tire slip. You feel it. When you ride electric, you can now hear, hear it? it. Totally different. You hear the chain slap on the swing arm. You huh. hear the suspension moving. You hear the whole environment around you. It's so immersive that when you do it, you're like, it's it's an experience all into itself like wow here's what these electric bikes do so well is like i can take this bike out alone go into the mountains and just enjoy the environment like i've never enjoyed it before i'm not doing hard enduro on it now this bike is still capable i i can go over a three foot log on this bike i can still do things on it, it you, still- even though you can't double blip so you're <sighs> you're kind of like hamstrung because you don't have the clutch there's, you're doing it all with throttle control. You're doing it all with throttle, and you'll find that the throttle is very. Um, it's and it's hard for me to explain, but like you can, it doesn't grab traction like I can on my my two stroke. It's not as good. Like it will like, uh, and then all of a sudden just spin. Um, like if you're in a real technical spot, uh-huh. so you got to have a. I have to have a clutch. It just does not modulate the power as well. Maybe in the future, and you know the Stark Vargas, you know they're gonna. Make it so you can adjust the power and the way that it, you know, you can control it a lot better. Maybe they'll, that will improve. I'm sure it will improve a lot, but you still need a clutch. I can't pivot turn on that bike because I can't modulate the power enough to just bring it up and do a sharp pivot turn on. Yeah. It just can't do it. Yeah. I, the, the clutch is the, I don't know if it's, I have the, the two problems I have with them is just the range and the weight. The bat, the the power storage thing is a huge issue, but then the clutch is to me just as big of an issue because just like you said, there's so many things. If you look at a trials rider, and I'm not a trials rider by any means. I own a trials bike, but I don't do trials. None of the things <clears throat> that a trials bike rider can do are possible without a clutch. You see, you if you go Google Tony Bow or Boo, I don't know how you pronounce him, or just do Google some trials competition right now if you're looking at this, and you watch, you will watch these motorcycles and these people do things on these bikes that look like they're defying gravity. If you ever want to make yourself feel bad about your riding, go watch Tony Bow, and then yeah, and none of this is possible. Okay, now. Okay, but that's trials. Okay, so whatever. It's it's a different discipline. We're riding off road now. I want you to go look at what Graham Jarvis does. Watch some of his stuff. I want you to go look at any other hard enduro rider. You know, right now, Manny Luttenbickler or Johnny Walker or in Cody Webb. Insert anyone here. All of those guys are doing things with their with their motorcycles that are not really possible to do without a clutch. Absolutely. Because we need what we're doing is we're storing power in in the flywheel and then releasing it at a certain time or we're modulating power to the ground. Like the clutch is about modulating when the power hits and how much hit hits and giving us like the most dex the most dexterous or whatever the the things that we have the most control on our bodies are basically our fingers. We have a, extremely finite control with our fingers. We don't have as much finite control with our wrist. 
And so you're telling me I'm going to adjust my throttle and all my power with my wrist, which is also being, I'm having to hold my wrist so carefully because I'm also trying to control my whole upper body. And so I don't have that much modulation with my wrist on the throttle. If I'm twisting the throttle, there's, there's dexterity there and certainly maybe more than I have in my foot or my toe, but I'm bracing everything. I'm bracing my whole body. I don't have that much modulation. If now I have the ability to squeeze my clutch with my left index finger, I have now, I have now, you know, exponentially increased my capability to deliver power exactly when I want it to, because I'm using two different hands to do this. And I, I would submit that your, your left index finger on that clutch is doing more for the power of the bike, or at least as much of the power of the bike as your, as your throttle hand is. And we're able to say when we want the power to hit the ground, if we've got a little bit too much power, you know, we can just modulate, you can pull that back in and build up this energy. You're storing energy in the clutch and people will sit there and say, and this happens every time I talk to somebody about an electric dirt bike, if they've, they're like, well, you don't need a clutch on an electric dirt bike because you have all the power at zero RPMs. It's an electric motor. It's got all the torque it's ever going to have at one RPM or 20 RPMs or 500 RPMs. It's got all the power. I'm like, this isn't about power. It's not about having just the torque through the entire you know, torque curve. It's about modulating and giving it when I want it. And, and I, I just think it's a huge, massive, monumental oversight from these companies that are trying to make these electric dirt bikes. And I guess they're, most of them are just focusing on motocross because it seems like the easiest thing to do. And it, it's probably the right thing to do. I think if I was going to make an electric dirt bike, I would probably focus on motocross. It seems like it's the simplest thing. It's the most popular thing. And you're right by a truck. So some of these range issues don't really make that much of a difference. I think until the battery, I mean, I think manufacturers know this, uh, but I think until they can fix their battery problem and get the range, um, then maybe the clutch thing will come. But I don't see it until the battery comes first. Um, there's some people that are some companies that have done some stuff with clutches on electric bikes. So it's out there a little bit, not a lot, but the range has to change. And to change the range, you have to have better, you just can't keep adding weight. We've talked on this already, but the, the battery technology has to get better significantly. So I think we're a long ways out, in my opinion, Kyle, before we see it for hard enduro use. However, it's still an experience that's, as I was saying, this bike will still do a lot of technical stuff, but not near what a three, you know, my 300 will do. So uh, not near that, but it's still very capable. In fact, it was more capable than I probably thought it was. Um, but going out, riding this thing in, it's not silent. People say, oh, these electric things are silent. They're not silent, but they're very quiet. They have yeah. a whine to them. Um, it's an experience all. And, and when you do it, you're like, this is cool. This is really cool. Um, you come across, you know, where I live up in, in the mountains more, I come across a lot more animals. It's you go out at dusk on this thing. It's amazing what you can, cause you're going fast. You can cover a lot of country and you can come across a lot of wildlife. So you, this immersive experience outside is really cool. Listening to the suspension work, the chain slap, the swing arm, the tire as it spins and breaks free is it's a whole different thing. So it's really fun. Um, I like it. So for me, I guess in short now, the the electric thing is um, I've switched gears on it to where it's like, I think it's cool, but it's its own thing now, right? So now it's like I have my 300s and then I have my electric bike for its own little niche thing, its yeah. own experience. 
and it's fun to go with other guys with electric bikes where it's quiet. Um, and I've done that. So it's its own experience is what I'm saying, but it's not, I've gotten out of this mindset of, Oh, is it here to replace my 300? No, it's not going to, not for, not for a while, maybe a decade or maybe more. never even Kyle. It's funny. Cause if you look on start Varg's website, um, <clears throat> they talk about the battery. Here's what they say. The range is similar to a full tank of gas on a 450, easily accomplishing a full heat in MXGP, which is a enduro, it's a series like a motocross series in Europe, or over six hours of trail riding, recharge, full recharge in one to two hours, depending on the charger and outlet. And I have said this many times. I will be surprised if they can actually live up to the promises that they've made. They're saying that you can do a six-hour trail ride. And my question is, Okay, how long are you sitting there? Are you telling me that you can ride six hours on that battery in an actual trail situation and I'm sitting there going, I will believe it when I see it? Well, and it depends on how you ride it. So they most of these claims are all made in a very detuned status and flat or more or less flat stuff. Now you go put this thing in the sand and you ride it like you would your 300 in some sand. I mean, it kills those batteries so quick. Yeah, this is just an it's a milliamp hour thing i mean i the way some people have put it to me like kyle this is a math equation you can tell how much milliamp hours is stored in that battery and then you you do a calculation and say how do you get to six hours of trail riding well you do it on this crazy low output of you can just how how long do you have to draw what's the amount of amperage or whatever that you would have to draw that battery out to make it last six hours and it's not enough amperage to actually do the type of writing that you and I would be comfortable would we would want to do, you know, I, at least that's the way. So, but the only way to know for sure is to get it and they've got to try to deliver this thing. Now that's an, that's another thing all on its own. I got an email from them a little while ago. You might've gotten the same email where they're like, Hey, pushing uh, back the, yeah, the, you know, we're this, we, we may miss our, we may miss our delivery date. And I'm like, you're already way out. Here's another thing. Alta, uh, they they were an electric dirt bike company. What happened to them? There's been several companies, and I'm not like an aficionado on this, but I just know enough to know, like it's hard to bring a, a product like this to market. It is taking millions and millions of dollars. Can they actually become commercially viable in the amount of time it takes before their investors are like, no, we're out. Like you failed. What do you think? I think they'll make it. I do. Um, what makes them different than some of these other ones? Like, say, Alta. There was a lot of people that said this Alta Redshift bike or whatever was amazing. I've heard motocross race, racers say it was awesome. Why, why in your opinion, is Alta Stark going to be different? tangled up with some litigation situations. With, like, they, Harley or something? They did, and then, you know, they, they got in a position where they couldn't, you know, they got tie, tied up litigation-wise. So they made some mistakes probably as a, as a business. That's a real short summary of it. Um, so I think that Varg, yes, I think they will, in my opinion, um, will make it. But what's your what's your definition of make it? Bring the bikes to market, or will they actually become a, a force in the industry? I think they'll bring their bikes to market. I don't know if they're going to be a force in the industry yet. Um, when you ride the bike, though, it is you know the electric bike, and you get on, and the acceleration is a whole different. There's an appeal to it. So I think that there's... Because you're not shifting gears. What What do you mean by that? Well... Say more. Yeah, when you when I ride this free ride, and the free ride doesn't have near the power that the Varg's going to have. Not near. But it still has... Did you order the 80 horsepower version or the 60? 
uh, I figured go bigger go home. If knowing what you know about me, what would, what do you think? <laughs> well, the thing is, if I was going to tell people, you can what, dial it back, right? That's yeah. what I thought. Well, that's what everyone says about the 450. That's the everyone's like, well, I'll just get the 450 because I'll just use a little throttle control. So I felt like kind of stupid ordering the 80 horsepower version, knowing this is like 20 more horsepower than I've said is way more power than you'd ever need on a dirt bike. So I feel kind of sheepish saying that. But you did the same thing. I did. Why? Why did we do that? Uh, we don't need 80 horsepower, Sam. Absolutely. We need all of 80. And then oh, my gosh. No, we don't. <laughs> I figured this is probably a, a moot point, but I kind of figured if I went to sell the thing, it would be easier to sell an 80 than a 60. Because, totally. So a lot of it was based on that, the fact you can dial it back. And, uh, I mean, I think 80 horsepower is a wonderful way to break both your wrists. <laughs> I think it's a very good way. I think it's a way to break a lot of things, including my ego. But I can tell you what the... I think that the uh, EXC is rated at 25 horse, the one that I have. And that is crazy. Like, I raced a guy on his Beta 300 in Moab on the road on mine, and it beat it. You beat him? Yes. Like in what? Like a 50-yard dash or what? Yeah, so he took me in the long run. But right off the bat, the you just jumped him. I, I beat him because he's that. I don't have to shift. It's just all you got to do is pull the thing and go. It's, well, this happens in my little Tesla because I've got a Model Three and it's the performance one. And I'll get up to a stoplight and some dude on a bullet bike, like like a freaking wise or uh, what are they called the the Yamaha R one or something. Yeah, the R one. A dude will roll up on an R one and I don't even notice it because I'm just like I've got my freaking five year old in the back in the car seat. And all of a sudden, I'll notice there's a bike to the side of me revving its motor. And I look over. I'm like, oh, 1,000? This should be fun. And then, and then the light turns green. Bam. Just just smash him off the line. Yeah. And he, I, I'm up to 50. I let off the gas because I'm not going to speed. you know. And then he passes me. And I'm like, oh, that was really cool that you were able to pass me after I got to 50 or 60 miles an hour. But I wasted you off the line. There is a certain appeal. And this isn't even the fastest Tesla. Like, if you get a Model S Plaid or whatever, 0 to 60 in 1.9, my car does zero to 16, like 2.9 or something, but it's still on, it's still sub three seconds. And so this, yeah, there is an appeal to electric motors, but okay. So you beat this guy on his 300, you know, but then what? So, well, yeah, that's, that's just it right. Then what? So, I mean, these things accelerate. So I was going to say the 24 horses or whatever this thing is, and then you're going to compare it to an 80. I mean, these things are going to be nuts if they're really 80 horsepower, right? They're going to have to have some good software to modulate that, though. And I think be they're going to do that. Because I you can't... You, I don't think you'd be able to use 80 horsepower at a dead stop. You'd just flip the bike over. Yeah. Right? I think so. I mean, if you're on pavement, you're going to just wheelie right up. I mean, but the acceleration on this is fun. There's no doubt about it, like you're saying. And, I mean, you get out and you can just come around a corner on this bike and goose it, and they just accelerate so quickly. Part of the problem, though, as we mentioned, is you can break traction with them uh, when you don't want to, and that's a problem with electric. Even on your free ride, you're Absolute. breaking. You're breaking at the twenty-three horsepower or whatever right conversion, whatever it is. You're breaking horsepower or you're breaking traction when you talk to more about that. So you're getting some wet, slick stuff where you'd use the clutch to modulate through some stuff, and it will just spin. Um, and it says on KTM's website, it says it's twelve horsepower rated output at forty-five hundred RPM. 12 horsepower. What did you say? You I think I've read it's 24. There's no way it's 12. It's 
regardless. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Ma- oh, gotcha. Max power is 24.5 horsepower. It's funny because they do a rated output at 12 horsepower at 4,500. And then they say max power is 24.5 horsepower at 5,000 RPMs. I really wish, though, getting back to this, that the Stark would have a clutch. I, I just wish that the bikes that I you know that we've ordered would have a clutch. I think that would make them a lot more. Oh, I'd be totally excited about it. I, I could get over, because <clears throat> here's, here's my thing about like, okay, batteries are a limitation, and there's very little that Stark can do about battery technology. They have to wait for Elon and some of these other people to figure that out. Um, but, but they could make it, they could make a fantastic dirt bike. And I feel like if they're, if they're going to leave the clutch off of it, they're just, it's almost like taking a sports car and saying, you know, we're going to make it with three wheels. I, I just, that's how strongly I feel about clutches. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, let's go make Ferrari made this new awesome sports car, but it only has three wheels. It's a tricycle. I'm like, so it isn't actually a car. You're just making a freaking trike. I know that the analogy doesn't hold that much water, but that's how that's how strongly I feel about clutches. If you're going to do it in motocross, yeah, there's a lot of people that are saying, hey, don't even use your clutch. So I get it. I can totally understand why they don't think it's a big deal. But I I hate the fact, are, are these Stark Vargs, are they going to have, um, are they going to switch our our brake and our clutch, or I mean our, our clutch controls? Is that something that happens on your free ride? Because so isn't your... yeah. Isn't your, uh, did you, what did you, so talk a little bit about that because on a dirt bike, your right hand is your front brake and your right foot is your rear brake and your left hand is your clutch. What is it on your free ride? Did they swap those over like kind of like a mountain bike is? It's like a mountain bike. So on they, a mountain bike, your left hand is your front brake. They have the left hand as the front brake and. And the free ride is the same way? No, the free ride is the left hand is going to be your. Uh, Rear. Rear brake. Oh. So on my mountain bike, I actually swapped my controls. So my right hand is my front brake, like my dirt bike, right? Um, so I just swapped that. But on the free ride, uh, I I put a foot control on it. And they don't make a kit, but I, I cobbled up my own kit, and you can do that. So I my rear brake is my right foot because I don't have... My mumble, my muscle. I didn't want it to mess with my muscle memory on totally. my clutch. I just didn't. I didn't want to start hitting the brake when I was on my hundred percent. You know, so I swapped them over. I don't like that. But the Stark Varg, you have the option when you order to make it a like the you know the handbrakes, which a lot of people like. That's fine. I, I this is just what works for me. But I don't have the muscle memory, and I don't want to mess with my muscle memory to where. If I'm on a dirt bike, I want it to ride like a dirt bike. So my Stark Varg, I ordered with a foot brake, and they give you that option, yeah, which I'm, I think is cool. I'm pretty sure I did too. Let me just go back to it because I I don't want to have the same things. I don't want to be, I don't want to be confusing myself. Yeah, so I got the eight. Here's and this is the thing: it's thirteen thousand one hundred bucks before it's even shipped or before tax. Rear foot brake. I did the rear brake on the foot. Side stand is included. 18-inch rear wheel, 80 horsepower. Suspension for your weight. This has been a minute since I ordered this. So I told them I was between 165 and 176 pounds. And now you've put 10 pounds of muscles on. So Yeah, I have. But the but I weigh a lot more than that when I'm riding because I've got freaking a 20-pound pack on. I'm, I would guess, I'm going to have to actually do this, but I'm guessing by the time I have all my gear on and my pack on, I'm at least 35 pounds heavier. Yeah. Because I have a tw- almost a twenty pound pack, depending on how much water I'm carrying, I'm between seventeen and twenty pounds just on the riding pack. You know, I'm carrying tools, I'm carrying emergency equipment, I'm carrying three liters of water, 
And then between your boots, I mean, our boots are probably four. They're probably, I can't remember. They're almost like seven pounds, just boots. You know what I mean? And then your helmet, all that other stuff. So I'm 35 to 40 pounds of gear. So I wonder if that means this isn't going to be sprung for my weight because they think I'm just going to go motocross this. Maybe I should have said way heavier. Um, I think on mine, I think I, because I assume the same thing that they had assumed it's for motocross weight. You know what I mean? I might have to. So I went them. in and I put mine in for heavier. I probably made a mistake on that. But I want, yeah, I'm going to have to. Hopefully they reach out to us at some point and say, hey, let's finalize your order. Does this all look right? And at that point, then I could say, let's put this up for somebody who's 200 pounds. So for the average person, Kyle, though, here you brought it up 13.1. This is pre-delivery. You're going to spend a lot for this bike. And this is not going to be your primary bike by any means. Um, the Stark Varg is going to be, do I dare do I dare say a novelty? I mean, for me, the electric bike, I want to have them, as I said, but it's just, it's its own for me niche it's its own ride experience it's its own thing it's not it can't and won't replace you know if, if i had to sell all the bikes the stark's gonna go probably first right because it's it fulfills the least amount in my life of what i can do but i wonder i wonder if and my hope is that this will be enough of an aggressive motorcycle to where you get the stark and then you lose almost all interest in your free ride that's what my gut feeling is going to be, is that if or when Stark that, Varg gets delivered to Sam Benyon's house, you will ride that thing, and there will be some deficiencies, and you'll wish it had a clutch, and you'll wish it had better range, but I'm guessing that it's going to be... Because the problem, the problem that I've seen with the, with the free ride is it's kind of like uh, three-quarters of a dirt bike. It's a smaller frame. It's smaller forks. It's smaller brakes. Like all of the things on it are basically from like a KTM 85. Like it's, it's, it this, it's similar brakes to what my sons are riding with. Yep. And it's a smaller fork instead of a 48 millimeter fork. It's a 43 millimeter fork. So it's just, it's almost like it's just for a teenager or for having, I, maybe I shouldn't say this. I'll piss a bunch of people off, but it's almost like a woman's bike where it's just built smaller for smaller people. Um, but where, it still weighs, what's crazy is it still weighs 250 pounds, right? Yeah. So it is. But this Stark Varg, I, I think, is is basically, I think what they've tried to do is said, okay, let's make the best motocross bike we can make and also make it electric. And so I think that for people like you and I who are a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more into it, we'd probably feel more at home ergonomically and and um, like just from a performance-wise, I think we'll feel more at home on a Stark Varg than maybe we would on this KTM Freeride. But it'll be interesting to see how much of that translates over and how, if you really do fall in love with the Stark. Because it sounds like you, despite all the deficiencies, what I'm hearing you say, Sam, is def despite all the deficiencies and all these things, you still really like it and you want to have an electric bike, which is interesting. And I think it's, it's just, it's, it's an intellectual, honest conversation where you can say, this isn't going to replace my bikes, but it offers a different experience that I like and I want to have. So the, my question then is, is the Stark Varg going to improve upon that or is it just going to be like meh you know my hope is that it would and that's fully what i'm planning is i'm not going to have two electric bikes i'll sell the uh ktm when the start comes if it lives up to what it should um one thing i will say about the ktm though you brought up a point about the bike and it it definitely has its deficiencies you know the softer suspension the weaker brakes and a few things the reason i even got the ktm though 
just a plug for it was I was looking at maybe getting a Suron. You know what those are, Kyle? Yeah. And so I was kind of looking at, oh, let's get a Suron just to play around with and whatnot. And I ran into a guy riding who had one, and he had spent literally 10 grand upgrading this Suron to, to make it better. He put the bigger battery on and the better suspension, better brakes and better wheels, but 10 grand into the thing. The, the free ride, um, I bought, I got mine used by the way, I got a smoking deal on it, on the, the classifieds. And that's why I kind of got it. It's like, there was a deal I couldn't pass up, but excuse me, <coughs> sorry. But the deal is with that bike is I thought if you're going to spend five grand on a Suron, why not get a free ride that has way better battery, way more power, way better suspension, way better brakes. It has, a, here's one, a liquid-cooled motor, which most people forget. You know, you get a Suron. The KTM has a liquid-cooled motor, which is a big deal. Um, the Suron's air-cooled, it looks it's like. It's air-cooled. And so I like, if you're going to spend the money on a Suron, and the acceleration on compared to the two is not even... The free, the free rider will crush the it. The Suron is more like an an e-bike than a dirt bike. I'm just looking at it right now. And it is. So I'm not trying to say the Suron's a dirt bike, but I was looking at buying kind of a nice e-bike. And then through looking at what I really get, I felt like, yes, it's twice the money as a Suron, but probably three or four times the fun. So that's why I bought the KTM versus that. So people are going to poo-poo the uh, KTM. The free ride. I'm not really here to defend it, but I'm just saying, as I looked at it from buying a Suron and then having to put all these upgrades on it, the the, the free ride was way more machine. Um, yes, more money, but way more machine. What's the other e-bike that I see people riding around? It. There's a couple in my neighborhood. Who are they? What is that? It's um not Razor. Shoot, I can't think of. There's it. There's one that I can't think off the top of my head. My friend was going to buy it, similar to a Suron. Um, now I Gosh, can't think of it. It's on the top of my head, but it's similar to these bikes. Yes. They, they almost look like it's a cross between a mountain bike and a dirt, dirt bike. bike. Uh, whereas no pedals though. Yeah. Yeah. But even the P even the, the marketing material that they show people are dressed more like they're mountain biking. Like they have shorts on, you know, they're, they're wearing like, here's, here's some stuff on like Suron's website. And there are dudes with like wearing Vans shoes with shorts and knee pads and they're riding this Suron. And I'm like, when's the last time you were dirt biking and saw somebody wearing Vans shoes, like a low top shoe? No, this is not happening in dirt bikes because we know our foots will, our feet will be exploded in 2.9 seconds when we hit that rock that you can't see. So this is, they're even marketing it. This is like, well, this is like, a, you know, it's kind of like mountain biking, but maybe a little bit more intense. What, and what we're, so I agree with you, the KTM free ride is marketed as hey here's an electric dirt bike but and and hopefully the the stark is just the next level up on that the e-bikes though have exploded i mean you look at how many they're selling of those surons and this and that i mean people are buying those things like crazy even just the electric assist mountain bikes yeah are crazy they're crazy and they're and they're cheaper <laughs> like if you go to buy a like super high end top mountain bike that doesn't have electric you're going you could spend like 15 grand and then you can get into like $4,000 on an electric assist bike and wax those people up and down the mountain that bought their like super lightweight. Because in mountain bikes, everything is about lightweight. And so you get these carbon fiber things and everything. And then all of a sudden they started like, hey, have electric assist. And now the weight doesn't matter because it's assisted by that. And 
and the cost isn't even as much. I just think it's crazy. We, we were in the mountain bike shop the other day with my son's bike and there's this like $12,000 specialized, whatever, you know, mountain bike. I'm like, this is more expensive than my KTM 300 and it doesn't have a motor. It's just crazy to me. It's the, the electric thing is a whole, you know, it's an interesting thing. However, I guess in short, my revelation on it is, um, it's, it's fun. And then when you try it, it has its own element of fun. You'll have, have you been out on one, Kyle? I haven't, one? I haven't yet. It, it, so I guess until you experience it, it's really hard to communicate, you know, saying all these things, it's hard to communicate the experience. So it's its own experience. I think if you look at it though, as its own experience and not try to say, Oh, it's going to replace the hard enduro experience. Yeah. Then it's a lot less disappointing. Um, in fact, it's, it's kind of, like I say, it's, you find that it's its own thing. It's a revelation in this whole new experience you can have. It's fun, but it's not going to be an 80 mile day out on the, you know, you're not doing that. There's short rides. Um, you just adjust your mindset. You just, but still are, you lower your expectations. It sounds they're like they're still capable. I'm, I'm surprised why I've taken this thing. <laughs> you know, it's fun. I've had it on Hell's Revenge. I took it on every obstacle on Hell's Revenge. The first ride I got it. Which is one of these Jeep tracks down in Moab, right? So let's go to Moab. So Slick Rock, it's not a long trail, so I knew it had plenty of battery, but it has some really, I mean, you got all these, uh, and I wouldn't consider Hell's Revenge a super technical trail, but it's got some good obstacles on it that you can go do. The Escalator and... It's got some good stuff. I mean, legitimate, some some stuff that's fun to just ride. And so I put that free ride through it, some super steep pulls, some some of those bowls. You've seen the bowls maybe where you get the yeah. bike in the bowl. And, and and that's where I first noticed that the traction um, with the clutch is lacking, is coming out of one of those really steep bowls where I couldn't modulate it like I could on my 300. But still, I took this bike, put it through all these obstacles, and it, it was fun. I mean, these guys were all behind me on their bikes, on gas-powered bikes, and it was a whole new experience. It was like, this is cool. This is fun. This is, this is, and my daughter, going back to, I don't want to, my daughter likes the free ride. She'll get on that thing and you can dial it back on different settings, right? Yeah. She'll get on that thing and she has, she's not intimidated and she loves not having to shift. So there's this element where you might really have something with these electric bikes for the right people. Like my daughter loves getting on that, no clutch. It has the ability to be tuned so she doesn't get over her head, but still has, it's fun. So yeah, I'm in on the electric thing as its own thing. I think you hit on an important thing there, which is you can make the bike so it's not scary. Um, my daughter was never, well, she was never interested in doing doing dirt bikes that much. She has a CRF 125F that she'll ride sometimes but it's because it's not intimidating. These other more aggressive bikes, the two strokes and stuff, they're always intimidating because they have a lot of power and they're loud. Whereas, you know, this free ride, it isn't loud. No. And, and you just can hit these different like, you know, engine modes or whatever. And then it isn't intimidating. And so that's a good thing for the sport, right? Get more people into it. And maybe, maybe some of these people get into it in the less intimidating side. And then they say, Hey, I want to step up to these other things. So it's almost like it could be a, a gateway thing or just like a, a really good, maybe electric, maybe maybe one of the things that electric does in our industry is just gives a better entry-level bike. What do you think of that? I think that's true. I think, I hope so. I hope the other thing it does is, you know, there's no noise. And so people don't get ticked off when you ride these things around the neighborhood. Um, 
You know, yeah. I've got some kids in my neighborhood that will get on their their bikes with a pipe on them, and you can hear them from ten blocks away, right? And yeah, I love bikes, but that's even annoying to hear. You know, when people are just revving the guts out of their bikes through the neighborhoods, it yeah. does not help any of us, right? And so you can get on one of these things, and you can go through someone's backyard, and you wouldn't even know. Yeah. You know what I mean? They are. Go as fast, yeah. It goes as fast as you want. They're stealthy, so I hope it helps in that regard. And Stark's, you know, Stark's plugging that that they're going to get tracks reopened and this or that. So it's a good thing. Um, I don't poo-poo the electric movement anymore, like I did. It's a good thing. Um, it's just, it's just not a replacement for. Yeah, I think I think as long as the manufacturers know this is yeah, build an e-bike, but don't don't take away these other bikes. I think that is the big worry it's a worry that i have because here's here's we've seen it happen before um the japanese manufacturers stopped making two strokes because the industry started moving the four stroke way so what happens if they do that now they stop making the gas bike just because motocross is going electric like that is terrifying to me so you stock up so you're gonna go buy every three stroke or two stroke you can it's i'm saying this tongue-in-cheek right? i'm you, joking but you here, get what i'm saying that's that is the fear I think for it's my fear because we've seen it happen before and it was just lucky that you had a couple of these like fringe manufacturers. KTM at the time in the 90s, well, well, especially in the early 2000s, they were basically still a very fringe boutique, almost motorcycle manufacturer and they kept going with the two strokes and then you had some other ones. You had Gas Gas and you had, um, you know, Husky or uh, Husaberg or whatever but you had much, much smaller companies. And we I just feel like we are extremely lucky to even have the two strokes that we have today. If if it wasn't for some of these fringe companies, we wouldn't even have them. If we, if we left it up to Honda, Yamaha, you know, Kawasaki, Suzuki, the two-stroke motorcycle would essentially be gone. It'll, um, be, it'll be interesting so after I don't, you get your Varg for you to look back on this conversation and the conversations you've had, you know, and this thing how close we were and weren't, you know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of think we'll be close, but maybe not. Yeah. I just don't, I don't want them to abandon it. If all of a sudden these companies, these, you know, corporations or whatever, look at this and say, Hey, electric is the future. And then they just dump this other dump, these gas motors. And especially because of like the environmental reasons that they have. Oh gosh. And we don't want to get into the whole battery talk. The battery talk is a whole other thing, but but no one talks no one talks about that. And there's so much pressure against like, you know, being bad for the environment and these gas motors are demonized so much and especially two strokes because you can see smoke coming out of the exhaust. So they look dirtier. I'm just terrified that if electric gets a little bit of traction, then these companies will just go all in on electric and not do any of this other stuff. And, and hey, maybe if they figure out the battery technology and they figure out the clutch thing, maybe in 15 years from now, you got, you and me would be sitting here laughing at each other going like, remember how we were, you know, resisting this? I mean, that's possible, but highly unlikely because of the whole battery technology. It just, we haven't seen battery technology progress. If you look at computers, computers have progressed like crazy, but batteries haven't. And the other thing that's, I don't want to really go down this road because I don't think we have time, but you know, California hasn't even um, green stickered, if you will, electric bikes. So, you know, in 2022, you can no longer ride a bike on public lands in a 2022 bike, which would be probably your most cleanest and efficient bikes they've outlawed. So you cannot ride on public lands. 
So all of a sudden you have this huge demand now for older, like a 21 three stroke or two, I keep a 21 two stroke yeah. is really popular in California now because it can be ridden on public lands. However, a 22 can't. It's so ridiculous. Which is the same, as you know, a 21 and a 22 300 XCF are the exact W are the same bikes. However, my point was the electric bikes, they haven't allowed. So where does all this make sense? And the scary part is California drives so much of the policy because they're, I mean, even if you look at my YouTube views, like the high, where do I get the most views? The United States. Where do I get the most views in the United States? California. It's a population thing, you know? And California drives the narrative on so many things. And it, it's it's kind of scary. Maybe they'll change that in the future. But I would have thought that California would have said, oh, here's an electric dirt bike. Go back into public lands, right? But they haven't yet. Yeah. I mean, it's a political discussion. But it's like, do these politicians who are making these things, what is their agenda? I think, I think it, you could make an argument that they don't want anyone on a dirt bike of Absolutely. any kind. Yeah. And they don't really care if it has a motor or not. There's so many of these groups that are trying to get all motorized travel off of off of public land yep you know and these these groups are well funded um and loud yeah they have a lot they have a lot of funds they have and it's 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 they're 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 they sell a sexy story to their to their petitioners which is like look how beautiful this is look at look at yosemite look at like you know this national park yosemite can you imagine if we just start letting people like like ride anywhere they want and here they can completely destroy the whole thing you know, and don't you want this to maintain pristine? You want this to be pristine and maintained for generation after generation after generation. And if you let these motorcycles in here, the whole thing is going to go to hell in the handbasket and they're going to ruin all of it. And that is a story that is easy to sell and resonates with a lot of people. You know, we're not trying to ruin the land, but they can, they'll characterize it like we are. We're either trying to ruin the land or we're trying to screw the environment, you know. And it, it's tough. And you got a lot, it res, that, that's a story that resonates with a lot of people and they've got a lot of money behind it. It's scary. It's one of the reasons why I want to do, continue to do Dirt Bike Channel is just to educate people and get more people involved in the sport because there is money. There's a lot of money in the freaking OHV community. You can tell because they're buying these $30,000 razors and then they're, then they're putting, well, a razor might be twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars, and then they're putting ten, twenty thousand dollars in suspension upgrades. And there's a lot of money in OHV, but we are so disjointed as a community. We sit there and we bicker with each other. You and I are single track dirt bike riders, and we're kind of fighting against you know the side by side community. What we really should be doing is banding together to fight against the Sierra Club and all these other organizations who are going to try to get us all shut down on all of public land. But we're sitting here fighting, infighting. Amen. Yeah. Even fighting with the mountain bikers. That's a, that's a conversation I've had with mountain bikers is, okay, you're trying to get me kicked off this trail. Guess what happens? As soon as I get kicked off the trail, who's first in line to get kicked off at next? You. Because they'll try to get the, they're, they're going to try to get the motorized traffic off of the trail. And then the very next thing is mechanized traffic. And that's you on your mountain bike. Because you've pissed off people too when you're ripping down. You're going just as fast on your mountain bike in some cases as I am on my dirt bike. And when you come around that corner and you scare that city council member right off the trail, they actually knew I was coming. They could hear me coming. For sure. But you were going just as fast and you were almost silent. And you scared them just as bad as I did and you made them fall off the trail. You're also going to get kicked off this trail. It's not just me, buddy. So we need to be banding together as like... You know, the entire OHV community, including mountain bikes. Anyway, 
that's a that's a tangent. Should we talk about factory suspension? I <laughs> that was the other thing we need to talk about is factory suspension. So so Sam is now going to convince everybody within the sound of of our voices to go out there and spend an arm and a leg. On, I just on I just realized though. I mean, this is probably gonna be a real long podcast, but um, whatever. I mean, people can start, stop, or not listen. Uh, but I realize this is your one hundredth podcast. Did you it, know that? I. I mean, it sounds familiar. It sounds right. And we're we're only an hour and seventeen in. Plus, I gotta do an intro on this thing. But you know what? I listen to Joe Rogan will sit there and talk to somebody for four hours. Yeah, true. And I I've listened. I don't listen to him nonstop. I just stop and start. It's one of the great things about podcasts is it keeps your position. And then you get in the car, you watch, you listen, whatever. Then you the next day you pick up right where you left off. So I think it's fine. Factory suspension. All right. So we just talked about my deal with electric bikes, right? Um, kind of a little bit of a revelation. My thing on fact or on suspension is I've really struggled with suspension because I hear people talk about their suspension and they're very generally adamant. And I'll hear things like, I did this and it's made a night or day difference or it's the best thing I've ever done. You hear these blanket statements all the time with suspension. And uh, I, I don't know if some of that is because suspension costs generally one of the most, you know, can be one of the most expensive upgrades you do. And so we tend to kind of defend where we spend our money, right? I hundred percent agree. Whether you agree or not that it's the best, but Hey, I just spent whatever X amount, yeah. which was probably in the thousands on this. And now it's the best thing ever because I've got to make myself the placebo effect. You're wanting it to make a difference so bad that you're grasping at straws. And you want people to agree with you online, right? You want to say, Oh, I bought this and this is the best, right? You, and you say that and it makes me feel real good. Oh, you, this is the you best. Justify, in some cases, you're justifying the purchase and the more money yes. you spend on that, the more you're going to justify that purchase for your own freaking like self you know, it's for your, it's for your ego too. And it's also to make sure that you didn't make a bad choice. So there, I, I believe that is a, a huge part of it. Getting unbiased information is so hard, especially so on, on suspension. It, I, he, I see these statements and you don't know what to believe. I mean, generally as a whole online, my take on things is I'll look for a consensus in a large amount of things. So I won't just take what one person says and that's the best ever, right? But generally you'll start to see patterns emerge about things and you'll see this with problems with bikes, like certain things. You'll just see a consensus start to kind of, there's a pattern. And with suspension, mm -mm, I don't see that. (laughs) I mean. It's all over the map. It's all over the place. And so. It's very subjective too. Like what, what I like, you might not like, we could go, we could go out and you know, you've got your suspension set up a certain way. We could go down the same trail. We could have the exact same bike, but we want, we want different things out of our suspension. A great point. So suspension is a hard one. And I've struggled with that because I have tried as a little background, I've tried a number of different kits and brands and I'm not going to go into like, um, different shops. I've tried. Oh, let's throw some shops under the bus, Sam. Come on now. So I've tried different suspension. Yeah, I've tried this right, and but I've tried different manufacturers of stuff. I've tried the K Tex, and and, you know, like the uh, Gold Valves and KYB conversions, and and to be fair, you have to put a lot of time on suspension before you can draw opinion. You can't really just hop on someone's bike and say, "Ah, yeah, I've tried this." Yeah, which which is what a lot of people (laughs) do. They go off to some track day or a ride day or whatever, and they rode the bike for 15 minutes, and they're going to do a review on the bike and or suspension. Yeah, and so you you see these guys, and some of them will be really loud online. Oh, I tried this, and it's garbage. 
or it's the best thing ever. And so I've put suspension out when I don't, I've decided that I just have to try it for myself and make my own opinions on suspension and not um, really listen to what others have to say because of all the things we just mentioned. So that's kind of a pretext. I've tried stuff and I've kept going back to the fact, Kyle, that I'll spend 1500 bucks on a revalve job or something. And I'm like, eh, I mean, it's not bad, but I just think, I don't know that I'm sold on, I wouldn't do it again. That's kind of the short of it. You know what I mean? So I've done this on a bunch of bikes and I've always gone back to stock suspension, which generally for me, I'm not a professional, but will generally work for me. But Um, you're, you're a far above average rider, especially, especially in what you're doing. I mean, you're a, it'd be hard to characterize, but I would just say you're, you're a, you're a very skilled rider from what I've seen. Well, thanks. Um, but I've gone back to where I'm just riding stock suspension everywhere. And then this last year, I'm not going to get how I got there, but I had some downtime and, uh, I was starting to look. That's another podcast. It sounds like if you had downtime, <laughs> sounds like another surgery or a broken arm or something. Snow bike, exploded clavicle, plate screws. We'll just leave it at that. Oh, okay. That's another podcast. (laughs) I've got downtime. So I'm thinking about suspension and I'm going to do something again. And I came to the realization that I'm going to try what I, I'm going to try the best. Now that's going to be a blanket statement where this, okay, that's subjective. I, but this is my thinking. Top of the line from WP. So I'm going to get the best. So I'm going to get cone valves and track suspension on my bike and try it. Which is approximately how much money on top of what, like how much did that, maybe I, we got to say, we have to, I, I'll say I have it on my bike right now. Okay. I think that's a fair point though. So I'm going to go to the top level and I'm going to see if this is good. So we're talking on front cone valve, a kit suspension, and there's a bunch of asterisks I need to add to this and we'll get to it, but uh, we're talking four grand on forks. Okay. And then we're talking another 22, probably depends on what you're doing and, and the tuning, but you're going to spend on the shock on the shock 25. So you're going to be 6,500 bucks into a setup. Now I decided that you need to use someone that knows what they're doing. Don't just go buy suspension because that's cone valve. Oh, I've got cone valve forks. Now I've got that isn't going to do it. That it's is going to be too biggest stiff. mistake. You've got to know what you're buying. And what I found... The when valving I makes all the difference. Is there's a lot... Not only the valving, it's like with with the... You can get different lengths. You can get of the, the forks. So my my mine are um, five millimeters longer than stock. I noticed that on mine. And like, s- there's a lot to know. And so you really need help. Just don't go buy some used cone valves to get the cone valves for the point of I own cone valves because you'll be disappointed and you'll be one of these people writing online. I bought cone valves and they're the worst thing ever. (laughs) So I think you really need to know what you're buying. There's a lot of options with this. It needs to be set up for how you ride. So you need to employ the help of a professional shop that knows what you're doing, that you can communicate with, that can set it up right. Um, So that's the first thing to know is, is you've got to get the right suspension set up. However, I did that. Uh, so you're going to spend all this money. But I also learned that the, this is the flip side of that, the used suspension cone valves are selling for a ton of money. So I figured I could buy the suspension, try it. If I didn't like it, I'd sell it. And I would be less money spent um, than if I had just done a 
a, re, a revalve. Yeah. Right? So here's that's I was like, I can go buy this, try it. If I don't like, it, I'll sell it. And that's the truth. There's people are selling their used stuff all over the place. Would I recommend buying it unless you know exactly what you're buying and are willing to spend the money to get it revalved? I wouldn't buy used. I'd spend the the full money. However, people do. But if you know what you're buying, fine. But I think what I'm saying is you need to know what you're buying and you need to make sure you're getting exactly what you need. Otherwise, I think you're going to have a less than um, great experience with spending this kind of money. So I bought this suspension. And here's what I did do is I bought this suspension and I have two 300s that I ride. I ride identical bikes because I like to have the redundancy in parts. And for me, that's I've used that a lot where I, I've wrecked a bike. I go get the other bike out. I keep riding on multi-day trips. But I went down to five miles of hell. I rode with my A-kit factory suspension after it set up. I'd done some tuning, changed the clickers where I felt I should be. Rode it on five miles of hell and then turned around the next day and rode my 300 with stock suspension, same trail in and out. Rode it. And so I had this comparison that I wanted to do having gone from stock to this. And so where I started to really see differences is when I first got on the, the A-kit suspension, um, I didn't, I mean, you, you, you can tell it's different, but you're not like, oh, night and day. I didn't, I didn't see that. When I started to ride the stock bike again, though, I noticed some real differences and things that, that I liked a lot, and I could start to see differences. And what I've concluded to is that this suspension the closed car or the the closed cartridge suspension allows you to it allows reactions to happen so much quicker and so the suspension's ready for your next uh what would you say obstacle bump whatever it's it's ready sooner which allows you to push the suspension for me harder because it's ready sooner i'm not waiting for the bike to get ready and react and be ready it's already done so for me, I've noticed that the cone valves react quicker, do what they need to do in a shorter amount of stroke. And I really like that because the suspension for me is ready to go sooner. So for instance, like on five miles of hell, you'll know this, Kyle, you can go and do some, there's places you can't blip. You actually have to drop the front off. There's not enough where you can just, just blip and, blip and, 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 ju- and, and jump the front end out there because you've got to turn right after yeah, it. Yeah, you can't do So you it. just have to drop have it to off drop it. And, and you're you, probably going to skid your your you know, you're hit, hit your bike on your skid hit plate your pipe or, and you'll notice the, and some of them are pretty pronounced drops, right? Kyle. So yeah. you really notice it on this trail with the, with the, the, this kind of suspension, I noticed that it wouldn't do, it was, it wouldn't take the whole stroke to absorb these drops. Like, you know, these, it was ready really quickly, which is my, I guess the best way. So what I've kind of was saying to you is, Hey, maybe I've always thought, factory suspension is not really something that's for me it's too expensive but when you look at if you spend fifteen hundred dollars per revalve or two grand per revalve per every bike you have what if you know and you own three bikes that's six thousand bucks if you get this suspension you set it up you transfer this suspension from bike to bike and all of a sudden you're spending virtually the same money if you amortize this over the cost of three bikes yeah what you would on just an average revalve job yeah because i just threw sixty five hundred dollars in the calculator and then i divided it by eighteen hundred dollars which is a typical revalve and that's three three and a half revalves so if you did if you liked what you had with your a kit suspension um and you could use it over the next three bikes 
you've you've essentially paid for it if you're the type of guy that's going to have to do a revalve. And and then also on top of that, that is to say nothing of if you like it. So I love the fact that you've gotten into a happy spot with it and you feel like you can find some benefits. That that gives me hope because I've only ridden I've got a um Moto Experts is letting me borrow a set of um cone valve forks and a track shock. And I've only ridden the bike twice with it. And one of the times I couldn't push it because it was muddy enough. I didn't feel I wasn't comfortable pushing. And then the last time I rode, you know, I went to the desert. There was also a little bit of mud. And so I, w- I felt like I was going maybe 90%. And so I still need to put more time on it. People have asked me, like, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm not ready to start speaking about it yet because I don't feel like I have enough time on it. Where it seems like you have enough time on yours that you're starting to develop some opinions about it. Here's something that I noticed from me. This is just me. This is a huge thing that I noticed with it, though, is... I like doing drops. Um, on my stock suspension, uh, open cartridge, the biggest drops, I've done seven-foot drops on. on that's my, a big drop. That's a big drop, but I feel it in my wrist. It hurts. And I've done it numerous times. So I know stock suspension will do a seven-foot drop. People say it won't. It will do it. it but, I mean, you're going to bottom that suspension. I've got pictures where I've still framed my video, and you can see the suspension totally just bottom you don't I even mean, you can you can bottom suspension on a four foot yes, drop absolutely i on these enduro bikes absolutely um and but i'll feel it in my wrist that's where i'll notice i'll come off those and i'll feel it and and now with this it's even more going to be pronounced but i'll i'll feel it i the last when i had this uh bike in moab the last time um i went off some seven foot and eight foot and i did a bunch of these i mean i did the biggest drops i've ever done we're talking i'm Onto foot, flat dirt on, or flat ground? Onto uh, slick rock. So we're talking oh solid eight-footers right onto, you know, that's as hard as it gets. And this suspension was amazing. I couldn't believe how my So it didn't hurt. Didn't hurt. Um, the confidence level I felt coming off those was, I, you know, when I come off a seven-footer on stock suspension, it bottoms, you feel it in your wrist, and you're like, ugh. It's like a shockwave through your whole body. This suspension... Um, it's awesome for drops, man. It will do drops, hard drops, big drops. So I'm excited on that because in before my wrist and before I'd broken my wrist here, I, I'd have times where I'd have to wear a wrist brace because I'd done some stuff to where it just hurts from that kind of impact. Um, at writing this in Moab and I did a ton of them. I did a bunch of them, had zero feeling in my wrist that it was hurting. So I think uh, for me, I mean, I think suspension, there's all kinds of setups. I'm not saying, hey, you guys got to go get WP cone valves or, you know, you're missing out. I'm just saying this has been my evolution. And part of that evolution was realizing, hey, if I'm going to spend $1,500 or two grand, whatever, per bike, you could go buy this kind of suspension and be transferring it from bike to bike. In fact, uh, the people that set my bike up said, You'll find this is what they said that that you build your bikes around your suspension. That pro level riders build their bikes around their suspension. They sell the bikes, keep the suspension. I've always been kind of a guy that's you know I rotate my bikes out pretty regularly and get the new you know everything's new. This will be one of the first times I'll keep this you know the suspension, and it'll stay with me and go to the next bike. So. That's very interesting to me, <clears throat> and I'm really glad we had this conversation because you just care. You just said something that no one else has said, and it's that you have found that you have a level of comfort 
through your bones. Like a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I got this and I'm, I love this suspension or the way it's valved or whatever because I have so much confidence and I feel like my front end is glued to the ground and all this stuff. And I've always like kind of taken that with a grain of salt because, you know, so much of, I feel like so much of riding these bikes is body position and throttle, you know, like you can, you can hit, like if there's a root in the trail, I've done this a lot where it's like, I see a nasty root in the trail. It's kind of off camber. Maybe it's sticking up six or eight inches or whatever. And if you are not prepared to hit that thing with your front wheel and you just like plow into, into it with the front wheel, all of a sudden it's like, it just, you feel this total shockwave through your wrists and up into your shoulders and everything. And the bike kind of deflects or whatever. I've then done something where I've turned around and then knowing that I'm going to hit that, just, just literally just preload the suspension right before I get there. And like the front wheel just glides over it as if I'm on like some a kit suspension, you know what I mean? And so, so much of this is about body position. And so I've always taken, I always look at suspension stuff from a subjective perspective, but what you're saying is slightly different. What you're saying is, look, I can tell there are certain things that happen to me on my bike, which is drops where this is actually putting less shock through my body and I can feel it in my bones. That's basic. That's one of the things you just said. I've never actually heard anybody characterize it like that. And if that's true, which I'm taking you at face value, then how much, if, if this, how much, what's the price we put on that? You know what I mean? You've got your, you've got a wrist brace right now. And it sounds like what you just told me is if you had the choice, cause you have two three hundreds and if don't let me put words in my mouth or your mouth, but you've got two three hundreds and right now which bike are you going to go pick? I think what you just said is you're going to go pick the bike that has the A-kit suspension. Yeah, and I can say that uh, because... you've ridden it back-to-back. Subjectively, I've not listened to somebody else. I'm not trying to justify it off the cost. I mean, I want it to work for that kind of money, but I literally ridden them back-to-back, and I've done it enough times with, between the two bikes, which are identical. And yes, I can tell a difference. There is a difference. Closed cartridge, and if you look into closed cartridge versus open cartridge, there's a sub- substantial difference. Now... I think KTM does a really good job for the majority of people who buy a 300 or a whatever they're buying. That suspension is really good. It really is. I'm not going to say it's crap. People who say WP is crap, I disagree. I'll just straight out say it because I think uh, they, they have an it. agenda. Like if you say if you say any of this stuff is crap, I don't care if you're saying KYB, Showa, or WP. If you say any of those things is crap, uh, you've lost me. Get on an old bike that's 20 years old and. I mean, the advancements we've made in suspension are, they're really good. Yeah. Um, so I think they've done a good job saying for the cost, because if you're going to put closed cartridge forks on every bike, you're going to bring the cost up a bunch. So I think they've done a good job saying for this amount of money, we can give you this kind of suspension. The fact of it is though, um, that closed cartridge is probably, is not probably, is a better suspension system, but it costs more money. Open cartridge, the stuff they give you on a stock bike will do so much and it does. I, I'll tell you, it does so. I mean, I've done stock suspension for years, and it will do lots of stuff. It does everything. But if you get to the point where, I mean, medical costs for, I mean, it doesn't take much to spend six grand on a medical problem. So what I'm saying is, all things considered cost-wise, it might make sense for you to say, well, if my wrist really hurt or this really hurts on me, maybe it makes sense I put the money in the suspension um, and get really good suspension. For me, it's 
it's cone valves, it's this suspension. I'm saying I really like this, I'm happy, but it could be a KYB, it could be other things. But I'm saying it might make more sense to say, well, rather than just spend the minimal amount so I feel like I did something with my suspension and I'm buying something, maybe you spend the full amount, go to the top shelf, amortize it over several bikes. You're not, I mean, for me, now that I have a broken wrist, I'm all in on having better suspension because I know what this feels like on the drops. I'm still doing drops, Kyle. Uh, I'm just going to do them on rather than stock suspension. I'm, you know, even though I broke my wrist, I'm not stopping the way I ride. Um, it will heal. I'm interested in having the suspension help me more though than brute strength. Maybe if I, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I do have a follow-up question on it because I'm reading from your email. You said, Kyle, factory suspension. I am now converted, period. And then you say, you think it may be getting overlooked. Here's my follow-up question to that, because I think we've covered that. Are you riding the bike any differently now, because you're doing hard enduro type stuff? What are you doing to protect that fork? Are you putting fork shoes on it? Are you putting like like different types of protection? Because if you're telling me you're going to move this from bike to bike to bike, and we've got to make this leap, these cone valve forks have to last for three, three and a half bikes before we've broken even. How are you protecting that, or are you even thinking about it? Are you riding the bike any differently, knowing that you know you're you've got a very expensive fork on the front of that bike, and sometimes they get nicked and they get hit, right? Are you is that changing the way that you're riding, or no? What so are you doing? be it. Um, I've always felt we had this conversation the first podcast we had that parts are replaceable. Now I'm not out to destroy the suspension. I have on all my bikes as much protection as I can put on. I put sleeves over the suspension. I put. Uh, guards on everything on my bike that I can guard. Now, I don't try to overdo it, but there's certain things I break over and over. So I try to really guard my bikes as much as I can. So the forks are as protected as I can protect them, yes. Um, cone valves have to be serviced more than probably your stock suspension, so I'm planning on, you know. But these these components, um, and as an engineer, I can say this because I've had them apart, I've looked at them, um, are well made, and I think with proper service, you're going to get hundreds and hundreds of hours. If I ding the tube, I'll replace it. If I ding or scratch up that, that's part of the game. For me, it's like fine. Um, I'm not interested in having a show bike in the garage that's perfect. And I mean, I want my stuff to last, but I'm really of the mindset of I like to use my stuff. Yeah. So if I use my suspension up in a few years and I have to replace an outer tube, fine. If it's beat up and I've got a lot of joy out of it and it saved me some medical cost, money still ahead. Or even comfort, which money, is which is something we can't really. But I guess the point I my revelation that I would say to others is hey, maybe look at factory suspension a little harder than you had, because if you are amortizing it over the cost of multiple bikes, which I'd never looked at at that point. I've always looked at it per cost per bike, which you know, that's not the case now. This suspension can be amortized over the, the cost of, of several bikes, which makes it way more affordable. And if it works for you, hey, maybe look at it that way. We haven't even talked about the track shock. Like we, <laughs> most of what we've focused on in here have been the forks. What is, have you been able to tell a difference with that shock? So a little point to all this is I was curious to know what the difference would be. So I just bought my forks first and rode it with a stock rear shock and did forks only. Okay. And then I've added the track suspension. I would say this is just my take on this. This might blow up a but if I was only going to do one, I would do the forks. 
and I would do a little bit of tuning. So my shop said, hey, why don't you look at not putting a progressive rear spring on that? We have found if you put a standard rate spring on your rear shock, keep it stock, run it with a, the, that you'll get some good results. You try it and see if you like it. So I did. I put a standard rate spring. I wrote it with the stock progressive rate spring. Then I put the standard rate or a, a non-progressive. So it's a little stiffer spring. And then I put the track shock on. I've tried all. Um, I like the track shock because I feel like in whoops, this thing hooks up better. There's just, it does. So, but if it was only buying one or I only had enough money to buy the forks, I wouldn't let that hold me back. I'd buy the forks only if that's all I had and go that. Now, to add to all this whole conversation, Kyle, when I was looking at this, I decided to try the WP6500 kit as well. So this goes okay. back to closed cartridge. So WP has a kit that you can take out of your stock forks, drop this kit in, and convert your open cartridge fork to a closed cartridge fork. This it's kit like is like a drop-in kit. It's right? a drop-in kit. <laughs> Um, a couple things to be said about that. So this is half the money. You're talking about two grand to buy this kit. It's even less than that, I think. But I I did some tuning on it, which I think you need to plan on doing tuning. I think if... 100%. If on not, any of this stuff, you're going to have to do tuning on your cone valves, most likely. If, well, you need, you need to. You need to. You need to... If you're not spending the money to have someone tune it... Get it stuff, from a shop that is knows kind of what they're doing because it can't be set up for motocross. You're going to be setting yourself up for failure, I think, if you do that. So don't go halfway here and spend a bunch of money, but don't... So anyway, I was two grand into having these forks, and I actually bought a set of air forks, which you don't need to do, but I bought a set of air forks, took them out, and had them put the 6500 kit in, which you can do. And I had them lengthened to the same length as my... A kit so they're i don't remember the length i want to they're a little bit longer than stock but the reason i did this is now i can take these wp kit with me on the next bike as well if i liked them if so i i did this 6500 kit test at the same time after i'd kind of been comparing so now i have a 6500 kit on my one 300 and i have the uh cone valves on the other kit the 6500 kit or the bike that has a 600 kit, I don't have a rear shock on. So it's still got a stock shock, but it has a 6,500 kit in the front. Okay. I think that kit is a lot of bang for the buck. Like, I think that thing is way overlooked, that 6,500 kit. It's a closed cartridge kit, as I mentioned, conversion. You get So that- you would take your air fork and convert it over to a closed cartridge with this this uh, exact Pro 6,500 drop-in kit, or right? You, you, that's what I did. But that's because I bought some air forks. But you really can put them on your Explore 48s. Okay. So you could take your XCFW and just pull the guts out of it, and for two grand, put this in essentially. Um, and this kit is good. It is good. It's so funny to me because I like with both of these A kit suspensions, you lose the finger clickers, which is one of the things I've loved so much about WP is they give finger clickers. But now on that, both of these kits, the, the cone valve forks and this exact pro cartridge, you lose your finger clickers. You might have it. So you can spend a hundred bucks and have them put them on. <laughs> so I did that. And I agree with you. It's so stupid not to have them, but uh, my A kit has finger clickers on it. Love it because you got to make the adjustments on the trail. So I would just say, hey, if you're buying a kit suspension, get the little conversion kit that's a hundred bucks that makes it. They do have that really big flat donut yeah, screwdriver the, thing that yeah. is the best that I've seen. But still, why can't I just control this with my fingers? I don't know. Kevin, have Kevin hook you up with that conversion kit that puts the little. 
I guess you've already got them, but you can get them. Uh, but point, well, point the, they the, don't come with it, which is... The thing is, I'm just testing the ones that he's got for me now, and I have to make the decision if this is something that I want to do going forward. And you've actually made the most compelling argument of... And I haven't ridden enough. I haven't ridden it enough to know, but if what you're telling me... I mean, I'm open to the idea... I'm hoping that the, this month, because it's a sweepstakes bike, it's September 2nd when we're re- recording this, I can ride the bike clear up until the end of the month, and then i got to put the thing away, because it's going to be given to someone else. And the A-kit suspension is not coming with the bike. It's going to be given away with the stock you know, air fork or whatever. But I have to decide if this is something that I want to buy into and then move from bike to bike to bike. One of the problems I have is I don't get to put that many hours on a lot of these motorcycles with the way I'm riding them, because I'll typically ride six or seven or eight bikes a year. So I don't get a lot of time on them, but it would be nice, you know, to have something where I'm like, this is a kit on this bike and just see, but uh, you've been, you've done it right where you had two bikes or identical, and then you were able to ride them back to back. And especially if you can ride them back to back on the same trail, that five miles of hell trip is the most interesting thing to me because you're able to just ride two bikes identical on the same trail. And you're like, wow, one of these bikes is beating me up more. One of them is absorbing more. And one of them is faster, ready to react. And it's not hurting my wrists as much. That is the main thing you've said that, that I've heard is I'm like, hey, this isn't not shocking your joints as much. And that's something that you can't really put a price tag on. Now, can we? could we valve our fork or whatever, our stock fork in a way that made it much better? Yeah, you probably could. You know, so much of this is about valving. Just like we said, you can't just go out and buy. And the other thing too, is these, these uh, cone valves that I'm testing, it's four pounds heavier than my air forks. I I weighed them. My air forks off my 250 XC were 15 pounds, 15 ounces. So almost 16 pounds. And then the cone valve was 19 pounds, 15 ounces. So it was four pounds exactly heavier. So that's the downside to closed cartridges. You have a lot more components going on, more valving. So it's more weight. And so it's more cost, more weight. And so as a manufacturer, as KTM, it does make sense. You're going to save money and you're going to save weight. And an open cartridge fork that they put on stock, like the Explore 48, will probably do what a lot of riders need it to do. It will. Most. It'll do. Yeah. It'll so do it, it makes sense. So there's, there's method to this madness why they're doing this. But yes, you're getting a much more complex fork on the internals with a uh, closed cartridge, cone valve, or a WP. You're adding weight. Yeah. It's good though. I mean, I love the fact that we can have these conversations um, and there's no right or wrong with all this stuff. It's one of the things, and you get this with a lot of different sports, but there's so many cool things inside of our sport where, you know, we have these amazing motorcycles and there's all these different components that you can put on and everyone wants something different. So there's this whole ecosystem of aftermarket stuff and it makes things a lot of fun. Like at the end of the day, these bikes are like big erector sets for us. You know, same thing happens in the gun community. I'm, you know, I have AR-15s or whatever, and people will spend their lives just making, you know, AR-15s, and they, they love it. And guys like you and I have kind of gravitated towards these these dirt bikes, and they give us so much joy. And there's so many fun things about them, fun things that you can do and upgrades that you can make, and everything is, uh, you know, we can debate the pros and the cons and everything, and people have to make up their own minds. And I, I just think it's, I think it's awesome. So I've loved, I've loved the conversation. I think it's been helpful. It's been helpful for me to just kind of like open my mind a little bit. So thanks for coming over. We've done the gamut today from electric to 500s to suspension. I mean, we've kind of bounced around. It's good though. 
It's good. I'm so sad that you didn't get to the, go to the Himalayas this year. So I don't know if I'm brave enough to do that. I think I might go over there and get some like tapeworm or something. Hey, it, it's just a memory. It, it's not a memory if it comes back with you. <laughs> my 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 stepmom went. To, she was in the military. She went to well. She was deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan and Turkey. Um, she ate something over there. I can't remember which one it was. It was Iraq or Afghanistan. She ate something over there. She has never been the same. Oh gosh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I so did. and so she has dealt with like gut issues. I don't know if that's TMI. I don't know if um, my dad listens to this podcast, so he he'll he'll hear. So dad, don't don't tell Lynn I was talking about her on on the podcast. But she has never been the same. And I like that worries me. If I go to some third world country and eat something out somewhere on the dirt bike, I come back with this gut issue or a tapeworm that never goes away. <laughs> you worry about that? Um. This goes back to our first podcast that you and I made, and I try to, in business um, and in dirt bike riding, to not make decisions based on fear. Oh, yeah. So there are those possibilities. There's possibilities all over the place, but I try not to to make the decision based on that, I guess. I feel I feel like I'm being lectured. No, I'm not. I feel like I'm being scolded. <laughs> I feel like I just got put in my place. No. It's like, Kyle, you're making this decision based on fear. You need to man up. So you're probably right though. I don't, uh, you know, I adventure, right? Let's go back to that for a second. <laughs> Let's go back to, um, I don't know what it is with adventure riding, but your guys that adventure ride, they're listening. will know this to be true. For some reason, when you go adventure riding with a bunch of guys, so much crap happens. I mean, it's just every time you go, there's something to be figured out. I mean, people are lost or this bike's broken. This is gone. We're in the middle of nowhere. We don't have this. There's just, always stuff this and it gets crazy kyle the stuff that has happened on my adventure rides is just i mean there could be hours and hours of podcasts of, i mean the stories that have happened that's what's so fun about it is you go on these trips to go motorcycle riding and then life just this stories in life this happens. adventure evolves and it always happens almost every trip so but my point in all of that is a lot of these are not great i mean a lot of these have been problems like I mean, legitimate, when you're in the moment, you're like, this sucks. This is a problem. We've yeah. got, I mean, this isn't like having fun kind of thing, but they're memories. And now as you look back, as I look back on all these stories, we laugh, we have smiles, we have all these stories in the group that we talk about. Like, remember this one time when we went and we left the tire iron inside the tire because we couldn't find it and we <laughs> thought John had picked it up and then we go another mile, we have a flat and it's dark and we're lost and we find the tire iron the next morning inside. The, I mean, these are stories that you have Yeah, that are, and so I guess I look at, I look at life a little bit as like this, you know, let's go to the Himalayas. If I get, I don't want to get sick. I don't, but, but it's the adventure. It's of the, it. it's the, yeah. the memories that come. I can relate to that. That sounds fun. So we'll have to do a podcast after that. And hopefully we go for a ride before that time. When's your when's your go your uh, go live date on well, that list? You know your uh, doctor people know that this bone is a slow healing bone, so I'm hoping I'm, I feel it changing. I hope I get there soon. Um, it's been six weeks. For most bones, that's long enough, but this bone has a little, a lot of blood supply, so it heals. And plus, the way you use your wrist it articulates a lot, so it's kind of a slow healing bone. I'm hoping though in a couple of weeks to be back at it. I haven't been up to. Some of my favorite places to go. Um, you know, I'm from Wyoming. I haven't been back up there this fall yet to ride. So I got some stuff to still get done this year. So it will heal. Um, but we need to get out together sometime. Yeah. 
Yeah. We keep saying that. Maybe we'll put you on an electric bike and see what, what you think of the EXC. Yeah, we should. And then I have to ride this A-kit suspension. And I'll bring my A-kit. Maybe No, because if we... Yeah, we could do it in a couple of weeks. If you're good in a couple of weeks, we can go A-kit versus A-kit. That would probably be interesting, wouldn't it? 250 XC. And just see how different they're valved. Because yours is on a 300 XCW, so you got a little bit different geometry. And mine's on a 250 XC. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming over. This has been super fun. And uh, next time we do it, hopefully your wrist isn't broken. Well, thank you for having me again. (laughs) Uh, It's always a pleasure to come bike, talk bikes, and uh, life's good. So appreciate the opportunity. And... um, it's always it's always a pleasure, Kyle, to come by and chat with with the Kyle Brotherson. Yeah, the Kyle Brotherson. I'm here. The myth, the man, the legend. <sighs> yeah, whatever I am. Okay, well, let's do it again, and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks, Sam. See ya. Okay, bye.